Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Welcome, welcome, everybody. This is George Armistead at Life List. I'm here with my co-host, Alvaro Jaramillo. Alvaro, what's going on? Hey, George. Here it is. Another episode. <laughs> Back again. Back again. I think uh, we're in a situation now where you're going into the deep freeze cold, and here it's Whew. looking like spring. Weird. Warm. Oh, my gosh. Old man winter, man. Old man winter is is here. Actually, today's a little bit better, but yeah, I think we're getting down to single digits Fahrenheit uh, next couple days. Pretty frigid. Huh. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, it's cold. Cold, cold, cold. Yeah, man. What have you been doing? What have you been seeing? I have not been out much, believe it or not. Just a little goal watching here and there and, uh, you know, watching birds while walking the dog. You know, Western meadowlarks are out there in the field, sort of in wintering. Nice. And the uh, white crowned sparrows, the local breeders, have started to sing. Buicks wrens are singing. Every this is roughly when the singing really s- starts kicking off here. Just the days are getting wow. longer, and uh, I mean, before you know it, we'll have arriving hummingbirds. So it's a uh, it's a whole different deal than the Northeast. I should say, yeah. About the only thing kicking into gear breeding wise here are like great horned owls and bald eagles, right? You know, like. A few at nests, some great horned owls duetting. I haven't heard any yeah. of these, mind you, as of late. Um, Have you seen the eagle? But, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, we should tell people about that. We hour, should right? tell people that about was, that. Yeah, that was the that was the original name for this podcast <laughs> that. That I proposed until Alvaro was like, "Look, like half the country will have or more will have no idea what you're talking about." Say, so I want I wanted to call it. Have you seen the eagle? Because so many of us, you know, there's several spots here in Philly. If I go out birding, I every single time I run into sort of the non-birder at that location. The question is asked: Have you seen the eagle? <laughs> And up and down the East Coast is a big thing, man. We get a lot, and I'm sure elsewhere too. Yeah, well, here, you know, in in California, well, this part of California, bald eagles are just kind of starting to show up. It's they're not common at all. So, I mean, if somebody said to me, "You seen the eagle?" I'd be like, "Where? Take me to it!" You know, like, and, <laughs> and I've certainly actually never had just a random person come up to me and say, "Have you seen the eagle?" Because a random person around here is. Li- unlikely to have seen the eagle, you know. So, uh, right, you don't have that. Don't many. have that many. So, uh, yeah. So I, I kind of said, George, I don't think this is going to resonate with some of us, you know, like or yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. It, it was a good call. You were, you were, you were correct. It was pretty. Um, but man, it is like I, I forget. It was at Manasquan Inlet last year. North Jersey Shore was there with a couple friends. And we were just birding around, and there was another party of, say, three or four people that we didn't know also birding there. And we're like, oh, wow, cool, Razorbill, man, there's a female king eider over here. And we're just kind of like, you know, sharing sightings between strangers that are birders, you know, talking the talk. And 
this guy comes up who's kind of oblivious. Um, it was just like, well, I don't know what you're doing here, but there's a bald eagle down there. And he <laughs> acted like we were going to just drop everything, you know, like, oh my God, a bald eagle. Like bald eagles are great. Like we all love bald eagles, but there's a king eider, there's razor bills, you know, people had seen like Pacific loons in the area. There was hundreds of common eiders. There's a, these are a lot of cool birds. I'm not going to say that they're necessarily cooler than bald eagles because, you know, that's all in the eye of the beholder. But it was funny because like me and one of the people in the other group of three or four, we just kind of locked eyes for a minute. And we were like, mm-hmm, have you seen the eagle? <laughs> you know, and and then the guy left and we just started laughing because we'd already both been asked like the same thing a couple times that that day. And uh, yeah, I think it depends on the site. Right. Like if you're um, near the stellar sea eagle, have you seen the eagle might actually have a different meaning, right? Yeah, so. Yes. You know, that'd be a whole different ball of wax right there. So yeah. Did you know that two years ago, I think Japan, like in Hokkaido, they had a bald eagle flying around. So the Japanese birders actually mm. were pretty excited about, you know, the bald eagle. And, you know, obviously it's great rare bird, but. I was thinking about how amazing that would be that in one day you could see bald eagle, stellar seagull, and white-tailed eagle all in maybe in the same minute. You know, if you're out there, that would have been pretty cool. So, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know if you saw Alvaro, but our friends, uh, Melissa Roach, Tom Johnson, a couple of their friends went up, saw the stellar seagull surrounded by bald eagles and spotted a golden eagle. Oh, really? At the same time. Yeah. Whoa. Three eagle species in North America in a day. That's a tough assignment yeah, right that's, there. Yeah, that's a tough assignment. Although, you know, if you want to get taxonomic, two different kinds of eagles, but, you know. Oh, oh this, is this is true. I'll take yeah. it. I'll take it. Yeah, Fish eagles versus yeah. true eagles, right? Yeah. <laughs> or, as I understand, some uh, are apt to call them booted eagles. Booted eagles, right? yeah. talking... They're t- yeah, they're talking about separating them that way. Booted eagles. I like that too. Uh, although true eagle sounds like, I guess then you're being, you know, you're making a call, right? Yeah. What is a fake yeah. eagle versus a true eagle, you know, and a, if a right. harpy eagle sounds a little judgmental. You, you know, you'd be like, that's an eagle, <laughs> even though it's not a true <laughs> eagle. So talking about the boots is good. Uh, yeah, yeah. A, I like the booted eagles. That's a cool bunch yeah. of birds right there. I mean, all eagles are great, but booted eagles, I feel like that's that's where it's at. You know, they're fashionable. They got boots. Yeah. The only thing I don't like about that term, though, is if you actually see a booted eagle, the the bird called the booted eagle, it's not very eagle-like. It's it's, it's kind of more hawky. Like yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. hawkish. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. It, the booted part refers to the big, fuzzy, um, feathered tarsi, kind of like a rough leg hawk on steroids. Ferruginous. Yeah. 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 So that, I like yeah. it. It's a good look, though. It's a good look, you it's know. It's a good look. Yeah. If you can pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So, what else is going on? What have you been up to? Well, I moved. Me and Kristen moved into a new home wow so uh yeah it's been a long time coming i think we referenced it even once or twice before but like 
yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a bit of a bear, the process, but we finally did it, man. We are into the new place. Yard list is, is humming along, you know, it's been cold and windy and snowy. In fact, the day that the, that we moved, um, you know, it's a city here. I went and parked my car in such a way to try and save a spot for the movers, you know, so the moving truck could have a spot real close to the front door. So those guys would be in and out quick, hopefully took forever. It seemed like no, no fault of theirs. We just had a lot of stuff. And, uh, so the movers are coming in. We're like, we're here. You got to move your car. I was like, all right, all right. And it's, you know, it was like three inches of snow on the ground. So I pull my car up the street, park it again. And I'm like, I'll get back to it. I didn't think of it. You know, I wasn't going anywhere. We were just unpacking. There's snow everywhere. So I, I left it there for uh, two days. And I come back um, next, you know, couple two days later. I'm like, okay, I got to run a few errands. And I'm like, where's my car? <laughs> my car is gone. Dude, where's you know my car? <laughs> Dude, where's <laughs> my car? I was like flabbergasted. Like it's never happened to me before in my life, you know. And I'm like, what is going on? And all of a sudden, I'm like, I parked right here. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, it's kind of under the snow, but I see that there's a driveway here. But because there was snow everywhere, I couldn't tell that I'd blocked the oh, driveway. So my that's, to, that's a good way to start your relationship with the neighbors. You, you, you'll, yeah, you'll be forever the yeah. guy who couldn't see the driveway, you know. You'll yeah. be at dude. My car's just my car's distinctive too. It's like it's kind of been it's kind of been bumped up from you know years in the city. So there, everyone's probably like, up oh, there's that guy, there's the, know, that jackass, block the driveway. Right. Yeah, you're probably on yeah, nextdoor.com. It's like, <laughs> see who moved in here? The guy with that car, and he just parked yeah. anywhere. Yeah, it was it's an expensive make it, mistake to make both. uh you know, in terms of the wallet and in terms of reputation in the hood. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that was one thing you're, that went, mud. went kind of, you're, yeah, exactly. Not good. Not ideal. You're going to have, you know, you're going to have to do like the, the, be the grill guy who invites everybody over, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh boy. I know. I have, uh, at the very least I'll have to start shoveling everybody's walks just to like yeah. be like, Oh, that guy, you shoveled the walks at least. Yeah. This is your yeah, venture but, into suburbia. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're still we're still in the city, but it is d- definitely a bit more suburban. But uh, but yeah, the yard list is coming along. And um, first first nice yard bird I had was a nice flock of snow geese Ooh. go over way high up. There were some birds moving because uh, of the weather, and uh, also had a, a little flock of common mergansers just like rocketing along way oh, wow. up high. And then the other nice yard bird so far was ahead of Merlin. Uh, which I think, as you know, is one of my absolute favorites. Mm, um, yeah. But yeah, mostly just uh, really been backyard birding because the move, you know, unpacking, getting the house set up and everything. Well, it's been. Uh, I saw your postings yeah. and I thought, I thought he was moving, you know, within the Philly area. I didn't realize he was going to a small country, <laughs> a small European country adjacent <laughs> to Spain. <laughs> you yes, know what I'm the talking about? <laughs> Yeah, the neighborhood of Andorra there. Everybody's like, yeah. Andorra. They're like, what, what are you moving there for? And I'm like, no, no. You know, yeah. was, I really regretted that. Yeah. Snow Goose is really me. good in Andorra. Yeah. <laughs> the Spanish uh, bird. The good bird over yeah, there. The rare yeah. bird alert in Spain or Andorra is going crazy. Yep. 
Yeah, not as not as much the goosander or the merlin, yeah. but snow goose. Goosander definitely raise a few yeah. eyebrows. Goosander, I'd split that, but that's another topic. Oh yeah, definitely a split. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, they look, they look. You know, that might be one of the few birds. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong. Where there's, you know, two entities or more entities within the uh, broad ranging species. Where the bird's plumage looks exactly the same as the others, but the complete structure of the thing is totally different. Like you see this goosander, which is the common merganser in the, you know, Europe, Asia, their bill, their head shape, everything is totally different. Yet it's exactly the same color. So it's like, yeah. it's kind of a weird one, right? Because you, you wouldn't notice necessarily in a specimen tray that they were that different, but as a live bird, you're like, whoa. Um, Different beast. different beast. Like it's it's hard to explain, but they they look they have this little refined beak. They're bigger too, aren't they? Are, aren't, are, isn't goosander? I thought goosander was bigger. Maybe I, I want to say the other way around, but hmm. but their beak is like weirdly like it's got a little point to it, and it, it looks a little upturned, and it's oddball. And their head shape was different to me, and I was like that thing, and it's so so distinctive that once you know to look for it, you can go through a pic, a set of pictures of goose, you know, random goosander and common merganser. You can actually pick them out just on shape. And I was like, yeah, people are, go, yeah. everybody go and, and do this, go look at them online and uh, see if you agree with me. But um, it's a, uh, I was I was blown away by their shape rather than their coloration. Still a green-headed, white-bodied thing with a orangey-red bill, but anyway. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I feel like I saw – I think we had – when I was on Saint, on the Pribilof Islands, St. Paul, we had one flyby there. And we, we – it was like – it was just a flyby. Like we couldn't really assess structure very easily yeah. um, in the sighting. But um, I think we all agreed that it was probably a goosander, and especially at that location, right. that's imagine a lot more likely. Didn't, um, didn't you all think you saw or tried to document what was potentially a um, pigeon guillemot of the northeastern, well, yeah, northeastern population, the snowy eye, Kurile? Yeah. You know that. Um, yeah, Island that was thing. it. Was just it was me and a group from the UK um, on St. Paul Island. We were at Reef Point, which is the south end of the island there. And you know, I have to admit, it was you know, I, I didn't really know what I was looking at at the time. Uh, this was early two it was two thousand two, I guess. And um, we were birding, just birding around, and I, I spotted this, you know, real dark looking pigeon guillemot um out there and and we looked at it for a while like trying to turn it into something else and eventually you know settled on that and then or settled on just being like a weird pigeon guillemot and then uh and then like i think it was like a week later or something i was looking through that ian jones alces of the world book which is a really nice book and and it was illustrated there and i was like oh my god that's that's what we saw. Uh, but it was long since passed and the bird was, it was not super far, but it was not real close either. We did not get any photos. 
Um, but I, I feel convinced that that's what it was. Uh, I still believe that. Um, so, but you know, like didn't nail it down. Everybody who's thinking, what are they talking about? The pigeon guillemot is this, well, so you've got black guillemot, pigeon guillemot, pigeon guillemot has black underwings and it has that, you know, the white patch with a little dark bit on it. And they're Pacific, but once you go around sort of the Pacific Islands to Russia, you get this all black pigeon guillemot type thing, all black, no white on it, you know, and and its winter plumage is actually similar to spectacle guillemot, which is another Russian Japanese thing. So um, the fact that something Russian could end up on the Pribilovs is not not that. Uh, uh, you know, unusual in a sense, maybe nobody's noticed it before, but it's actually much further south, you know. In any case, it's a really good find if you could convince people. Yeah, I think, you know, like I, like I say, I feel confident that that's what it was. But even, you know, 20 years later with no photos, I, I would have a hard time you know, going to a records committee or something and trying to convince them that that's what we had. It was really um, single day sighting. I did kind of look around for it after that, after I realized that that's what it was, but there, you know, the ship had sailed yeah. and you know, these things, they get away from us sometimes. That's just yeah. the way it is. Again, another one we could split, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think so for sure. Yeah. Well, anyway, the, that was a nice one as Yardbird Common Merganser, which is how we, that's how we got on that train, which Jeez, is cool. That was, that um, was quite the train. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Nice. The tangled web we weave. So it took us from um, Philadelphia to Andorra to Japan and yeah. Russia and the Privilops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We really did. We really spun quite the yarn there. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I'm 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 psyched to get more into the yard listing. I'm I'm real keen to work on that. So, uh, been good so far, but long way to go. Early January here, so until the the migrants come, um, it'll be interesting yeah. to see what what happens. You know, in a place that's kind of in the city, but not quite in the city, and and I assume has some big trees around there, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're, we're real near a, a heavily wooded area and have some trees in the yard and also a good bit of sky up on a little bit of a ridge. So there's some migration. That's why I think these geese and, and uh, cormorants are, or sorry, uh, common regansers are going by as we're just elevated just enough. That, uh, uh, and there's some obvious raptor movement there too. So, uh, so that's nice. Yeah, I think one of the, the beauties of, of, of yard listing or, you know, watching yard or, and, you know, counting up what you see, whatever you want to call it, um, is the stuff that doesn't show up, right. That you think, Oh man, I, um, it's cool that you have these, you know, snow geese flying over and kind of a little random, maybe it's even going to be regular, but I bet you're going to get to a situation where you're like, I cannot believe I have not yet seen X or Y. And often those yeah. are interesting observations they might tell you a little bit about the biology of the bird or or the ecology of your spot or something you kind of learn from this kind of yard watching listing yeah yeah you're right you you learn as much from what you don't see as from what you do see uh, if not more and you know my last place was a condo downtown with really no yard just a few trees around but there was a little kind of 
basically an overgrown lot right there, which would attract some birds. Uh, and I mean, we're really talking about just a few trees and they're all non-native. This is basically just the best any bird could do for habitat that happened to be coming through the area. One of the things I found was interesting was there, the only, I only had three, over my four years there, I only had three times where I ever had Carolina wren, huh. which is an abundant bird, you know, in the suburbs and and even in parts of more rural Philadelphia um, or suburban Philadelphia. It, you know, it's a common backyard bird. and um, But right downtown, they just, you know, that that's, they're just not there. And uh, the only time, all three times I had them was like late July, early August. And that told me something, right? That those that's when those things are moving. Um, they must be moving then. And I don't know I don't know if they were really truly migrants. I sort of doubt that at that time. I suspect it was more what, you know, is broadly termed post breeding dispersal or maybe even young birds yeah. uh dispersing away from natal areas. Um but I just like that was an eye opener for me. It was you know late July, early early August. There's Carolina wrens moving because as a resident bird here, they kind of always when whatever their movements are, they kind of fly under the radar. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. I think we might have a similar situation with uh, Hutton's vireo. Um, I I get them off and on uh, here, and I use in Vancouver. I used to see them at this local park too that didn't have them breeding. And they they have a little some windows where they show up, and you're like, well, I mean, Hutton's vireos are not migrants, are they? Um, so you start thinking, okay, maybe this is when they disperse, or this is when they do their thing. They they expand their 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 distribution to some extent, give things a go. You can only do that in places that don't have them, or note when they aren't there versus when they are there, or whatever. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. A lot of learning. We're gonna we're gonna hear more of your backyard, I'm sure, as things. Yes, I've got I've got the vagrants I'm dreaming of, but it will be very. You know, I'm like, man, I want to get like a a goshawk. You know, huh. like I feel like where I'm I'm situation, goshawk would be great, or maybe like someday, you know, pipe dream would be like a varied thrush or a Harris's sparrow in winter. Wow, like, oh, you know, can picture that, but uh, whether it'll happen or not, of course, is a is a very different thing yeah um, yeah i always have a dream of a siberian accenter right in the corner that's a nice part. yeah right in the corner there in the you know underneath this dark bush and come out to get some seed and then <laughs> there you go there you go yeah you i know you have one of those on your on your uh on your roster from years, years past, past right but i've never seen yeah. one again so it's kind of a magic bird in yeah. all the travels i found one in alaska once that was it's i think the only one i've ever seen yeah. yeah, that's a. I, I one of the with that that original one that I saw in Vancouver. I just remember. I don't know if I've told you this before. There was somebody shows up, who who didn't quite kind of get the memo correctly, and is you got some kind of a sipiter here, huh? Some kind of is it like a sharpie? And I was like, no, it's not an sipiter. It's an accentor. It's like a little. Oh, okay. I was thinking it was a sharpie kind of thing. <laughs> I, I still the best. That's the best line. Siberian sharpshooter. Yeah, Siberian occipiter. <laughs> well, nice. Rare birds, George, have been causing a a kerfuffle. Yes, <laughs> you're showing me a picture of the bird of the year. Yes, the burrowing owl. Yes, uh, 
a kerfuffle, a real imbruglio is <laughs> a Natalie imbruglio. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, now I'm going to have that song in my head, you know. It's a cover, by the way. Listen to the original. Um, yeah. <laughs> so this burrowing owl in Toronto, in Ontario, shows up. And uh, it's an owl, right? Beautiful owl, amazing owl, bird of the year. Incredibly rare in, in Ontario. They're Western species for the most part, right? At least in the Northeast, they're not supposed to be there. and some people see it and realize, well, there's all these rules to like sharing information on rare birds and owls specifically. It essentially doesn't get out. The info doesn't get out. And uh, word is it's suppressed. It's suppressed. You say? It's suppressed. And then mm-hmm. the uh, bunch of people want to see it and uh, it disappears eventually. You know, a few people saw it. Of course they want to see it, Al. Of course, they, they want to see, see it because they're good human beings, good. and good human beings like to see owls. Like to see owls. <laughs> you know, like to reiterate, that. regular people like to see owls. And, yeah. And uh, what what happens is, um, people see it actually revert to the old school phone tree. Tell some people, but don't put it out on the social network. So guess what happens? Oof. Essentially, the old school people see the bird. The newer people who are getting all the information via the internet don't see the bird, and it causes this rift. Then it's eventually found again, right? So more people got to see it, and the issue was, again, kind of came out into the open of people, the idea of some people were suppressing and being elitist, in a sense. Uh, those people saying, no, we're not being elitist. We just couldn't give the information out. Uh, the local park, too, didn't want the information just willy-nilly. So there's all sorts of interesting layers, layers where – but people were peeved. Nobody was happy yeah. about this whole thing. And that, yeah, I think, understandably. Yeah, and I think we could one day have a really good conversation about elitism in birding because – uh, mm-hmm. As we were talking just before we we got you know went live, I think it's always existed, and I think older people or people who've been at this a long time, I, I want to liken it to the military. <laughs> there was like a hierarchy that was just accepted, that in a sense didn't trouble you because it's like yeah you know I'm I'm not captain yet but. Maybe I will be one day if yeah. I try hard enough. Maybe I'll be first lieutenant, first lieutenant in a couple of yeah. years. You know, rather yeah. than here with, you know, peeling potatoes. So, so uh, and I'm not saying that's good, a good way to grow up as a birder, but it was the way the system was. And in a sense, we didn't right. have issues of somebody saying, hey, hold, hold on a minute. You know, this is elitism. It was like, yeah, sure it is. It always has been, you know. And today we have this old school, new school going on where some people see sort of the older system of birding as normal and therefore not an elitist system. Newer people who are like, hey, hold on a second, you know, that's, you're not letting everybody into the whatever. And uh, yeah, we could have a really ripe discussion, maybe have some guests even to talk about that because it's kind of interesting because I think there's a, a huge gray area in there that that's happening because we're in a cultural shift, right? 
and yeah. and I don't think anybody is growing so quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And nobody really wants to go to the old, back to the old, you know, military style burning, right. burning your the phone trees and right the phone trees and and street cred and who you believe, who you don't believe. Um, but it, it was the way it was, and and I think uh, sort of this all came into the to head with the bird of the year, burrowing owl. Which amazingly is yeah. a really hard bird to see as a vagrant because sometimes they actually hide underground. <laughs> so it's like yeah, it's exactly. the worst, right? Like it's not like some bird that's like, oh, it hasn't shown up at the feeder yet. The brambling, it's no, it's more like I think it could be underground and it, maybe it's going right. to stay there for two days. You know, so it's right. It's freaking cold it's up cold. there. You know, it's so, like why would I come out? I, it's uh, yeah. So uh, note to self: uh, if you're going to go look for a burrowing owl, make sure it's a sunny day. Maybe the evening or the morning yeah. would be the good time to see them. Tricky bird to chase. But yeah. so I, all this is happening. I had a conversation with one one of my old friends from Ontario, Jeff Skevington, and Jeff Skevington, along with uh, Mike Burrell, they came up with this idea before this ever happened. And I think this is the cool part of this story: the the part about people being mad and not seeing the owl. That's one thing. That's that's not cool. Um, you know, birding should be fun. So this is what they've yeah. come up with. They, with the OFO, Ontario Field Ornithologist, it's a program. I'm going to say it's a program, right? That I'm going to, I put, I put a Canadian kind of, uh, you know, an MM, special MME there. That, you know, I don't know if you heard it, but rather than a, <laughs> it's like a project. <laughs> but, um, oh, I see. Program. Yeah. Yes, program. Yeah, exactly. Program. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Different spelling. and and the thing is that it's an ambassador uh program rare bird ambassador and what they're trying to do is you know first of all like your mind goes to oh man are they gonna be the the rare bird police no that what they're trying to do is actually have people all over the province who are involved and interested in birds that if something shows up near them they can first of all make sure access is okay and and facilitate access, talk to landowners, let's say a brambling is at somebody's feeder or something like that. You know, apparently they've already done a couple of the, a few of these things. It was, I think, a calliope hummingbird. And they're, they can facilitate access to it by talking to the landowners and also facilitate the care of the bird itself so that, you know, nobody's mm-hmm. getting too right. close. So people, yeah. Right. Um, and people know that, it's it's certain folks are the ambassadors, so they have some level of uh, you know the community's given them some level of um, power, I guess, to to sort of say, hey, you know, you should park here, you should do this, you should do that, and um, make the landowners happy too that they have these birds uh, land in their spot. You know, give them a a book where the you know people from all over the place can sign their name and thank them. Um, in some cases, they've even um, had people give money to the landowner to either invest in uh, conservation work, or in one case, I thought this was funny that all the birds just trampled the grass right around near the feeder of this calliope hummingbird. So part of the, the money went to replace the grass, which is it seems so civilized, you know, like that you could have a and obviously it's going to have to you know, be rolled out and tested and done in more, more situations to see, um, how, how it works. But I, 
kudos to to Mike, Jeff, and Ofo for putting together some kind of at least idea of creating a situation, yeah, a, framework. a framework where yeah. the owl situation is less likely to happen, or perhaps you know they they weren't apparently in this case they really didn't have the system up and going for the the owl to, to sort of kind of come in on this you know but as it's a brand new project that they're 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 getting going and i think it's a, a good idea to even uh mention to the wider north american public other places um and maybe your your old employers the american birding association it'd be great for them to do projects like this where the the average birder who's a member would get a benefit um uh, mm-hmm. i think the idea of also organizations if you take it another step maybe talking to uh garbage dumps landfills sewage treatment plants um they all have pr departments you know yeah and if pr could be even state parks and yeah. even state parks national parks having a liaison there that can help direct traffic and you know and, and hope it, it direct traffic in a positive way and uh direct attention you know in a in a positive way i think we've all seen situation where these rare birds pop up and there's just kind of really nobody to and it's not that people innately always act badly or inconsiderately, but more so that at times it's not clear what they should do, where they should park, where they can walk, you know, where they're on, on, you know, where they're permitted to stand and where they're not permitted to stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be a gray area. And so then it makes it much easier in, if, if it's not clear, then it's, then all of a sudden, it makes it hard for someone to be like, Hey, you know, you're getting too close to that bird or, you know, this is not the way this is supposed to be. Um, I do think, uh, having a network of these folks would be good, you know, all over the place. Uh, some places it's, it's pretty straightforward and clear how to behave and, right. and how folks shouldn't behave. And other places it's really, there's so much gray, right. it's hard to know, even if you're really well-intentioned and being careful. And if, if you're, Thinking about the fact that birding, we're all trying to make birding more popular, get more people out there. This is going to be, even if even if listing itself is isn't uh, proportionally as much, you know, the, the, the type of birding people do. Just higher numbers of birders. There will always be listing people wanting to see something yeah. new. People wanting to see something new for their state or wherever. Uh, it's going to be more of an issue in a sense. We need to like put the systems in place that make it great for birders and for the birds but you do, yeah. you want, you want to hear the funniest i mean i thought this was great the funniest one that jeff mentioned that they'd sort of uh facilitated it was a rock wren in ontario mm-hmm. pretty rare bird right so yeah. this this person this family has this rock wren coming to their land and they're uh, it's a farm i think a big farm and it's it's coming and 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 goes through a cat door into the barn, right? It's going into the. I remember seeing photos of this at the time, being like, "What the heck is going on with this yeah. thing?" So it goes in, in the cat door in the barn to get out of the cold. So the the landowner says, "Oh, there's a rare bird and stuff," you know, and starts putting mealworms inside the barn, 
So basically the Rockrin just That's awesome. just hangs out inside the barn. So there's no way anybody can see it and it's private land. And they the ambassador program actually goes out and talks to this person who's like, I don't know if I want people here, but how about we do this? You know, every so often when we feel like, you know, we'll let five people in or so. And, and um, so they, they put together a system. So five at a time could go in, in certain days, not every day, really controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually over a hundred people saw this rock wren that was coming in well actually eventually just staying in, staying inside this barn until it flew off in spring um i remember seeing the video of it like hopping around like sitting on like vices and yeah. you know the tips of shovel you know the right. top of a shovel handle and it's like just hopping around and i'm like what, what the deuce is happening with this thing <laughs> i know it's, it's so cool i guess that's as close as it gets to a cave in, in i know you know it's, ontario in, in winter right it's uh it's it's almost you know normal behavior for a rocker and just in the wrong place. And I think the the other part too, that, uh, that they found so far in these sort of test scenarios they've done with the ambassador programs is that birds that actually cause the most problems are the ones that stay too long. Mm -hmm. And I, it's totally resonated with me. So if you have a, a, a rare bird that's there for three days, you essentially don't have enough time for anybody to build yeah, up hit critical mass right, after a week or, or so, resentment, yeah. you know, or whatever it might be, yeah. you know, but the longer something is there, the more issues it causes for either the place, the landowner, the birders themselves or what have you. So, um, yeah, um, I, that will have a, an effect too, I imagine. Um, yeah. And, have you, you, you've heard the story, Al, of the, of what they called the biggest twitch ever in the UK. Have you, have you not? Well, the things that come up with biggest twitch ever are in my head are red-breasted nuthatch and uh, golden-winged warbler. I'm trying to say. Yes. Are the, are yeah. The- golden-winged warbler was I, – I, I had a friend who was at the golden-winged warbler, which I think was 1992. So we're going back quite a ways here. And uh, I'll just tell the story that he told me briefly. And I should say this is about six, eight years removed from me hearing this story. So it's possible – I uh, am not telling it entirely accurately, but I thought it was a pretty hilarious and interesting story of one. Uh, But basically, I think it was in Kent, England, and the finder of the bird, I believe, was like going to run an errand late in the afternoon as it was getting dark and found and sees this beautiful golden winged warbler, you know, hopping around in in a yard that's like a pretty tiny yard. It was a... It was ex- visible from the parking lot of Tesco, which is so, sort of like the big, you know, that's what I remember. The guy was going to Tesco to to go okay. get groceries or something like that. Yeah, that, I thought he was going to get milk. Yeah, yeah, or like, like milk. That. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. Tesco parking lot. So, yeah. so the way I heard it was that like he saw this bird as you know as it's getting dark basically, and it's like, oh my god, golden wing warbler, like head exploding. You know, first record not only for for the UK, Great Britain, but for you know the Western Palearctic. So you've, everybody in the world is going to want to see this thing. It, you know, not only is it a vagrant, it's an absurdly good looking one. So the word starts to get out that night. Old school phone tree. The next day, like hundreds, I want to say like they said like two or three thousand people right. show up at this little place, and it's like they're in the parking lot surrounding the yard where this thing is. 
and it's getting light and everybody's, you know, sort of jostling for position, trying to make sure they got a good view. And there's some near fights that break out with some elbowing and some, you know, some tripods and people are getting, you know, testy <laughs> and uh, everyone's waiting. The bird's not appearing. And, you know, sun, sun, sunrise happens and, and the people that are in the house in the yard don't know that this bird was sighted here. And they, they throw back the curtains like it's a, a brand new day, like, oh, here we are, another nice day. And they see like 3,000 birders. <laughs> yeah, hopefully fully close. <laughs> but they see like 3,000 birders staring back at them, you know, in their window. And they're like, good God. <laughs> and they just like, you know, they like throw the curtains back closed so that like nobody could see anything. And then almost like they couldn't quite believe what they'd just seen. Everyone could see the curtains just crack open and these people peeking out like, what in tarnation is happening out here? Like, what? What's like a Mr. Bean episode, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then like, you know, I guess they kind of, you know, some, they must've talked to somebody to figure out what was going on, but I guess it took the bird a while to show. I think it didn't show till like two or three hours after sunrise or something. And finally it like, it teed up at like the highest tree and everybody got to see it. I guess when it teed up, it was, they said you could hear like a pin drop and everyone was like, Oh, like, you know, gasping and the, the air left the room and bird flies off. Everybody's seen it. And it, they said it was like, you know, a football match, like a soccer game. The cheer that went up was like this, <laughs> you know, roar from the crowd. Like, ah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I, I, it must've been quite a scene. I mean, we've had some good ones here, but you know, I, I don't think we're quite as obsessive as the Brits uh, generally are about their, their twitching. I mean, obviously there's exceptions, but uh but it must have been something to yeah. be there for that. No, and, um, and they've got a situation where the entire country, you could, you know, drive from one end to the other overnight, you know, and be anywhere in the more at daybreak for anything, you know, almost uh, other yeah. than the islands. But I think, I think they've come up with systems over there too, and especially for raising funds for, for conservation. Often yes. there's like somebody who's representing the, you know, BirdLife International or local bird club or something, and they they garner funds from these rare birds. RSPB. Yeah. 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 I guess it would yeah, be I RSPB, think, not BirdLife International. What am I thinking about? Yeah. Yeah. The I think uh, that is something that I have a couple friends that basically anytime they get a lifer, you know, they've seen a few birds now, or you know. But then that they're trying to kind of preach forward is anytime they get a lifer that they try to make a contribution to either the area um, NGO or a conservation organization near that area. Now, obviously, if you're, you've only seen two or three hundred birds, you know, that could get out of control pretty quickly. But but if you're, you know, if you're if you're moving, getting on down the line and lifers are becoming fewer and further between, it's something for folks you, to consider. You've reached yeah. sergeant or captain in your yeah i think so just now just this very moment yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, you've got enlightened friends though because you know around here i think most people put that money to the local bar watering hole after they see a good bird you know so, mm, i guess subject to that myself on occasion yes. i guess you could yeah. do both right you could you could mm-hmm. you know i think that's the answer right right there. give yeah. money to conservation and give money to the local bar Whatever you spend at the bar celebrating that bird, double it and give it to the local conservation right. group. Well, that's a or lot of money. Or international one. Yeah, I know. For some people, that's really get away from you quick. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you if you see a good 
if you see a lifer, you're out with friends, is the rule that you buy a beer for all, or do they buy you a beer for getting the lifer? My general operating theory is that if I am out with friends, they buy me a beer, period. Okay. All right. That's good. <laughs> so here's, here's the thing. So we're talking about, you know, going to the bar and not everybody drinks and that's, that's fine. And mm-hmm. not everybody eats meat, George, right? Too. There's an issue of this is right? true. people are this vegetarians. Is, this is true. Yeah. My wife included. Yeah. But you brought up the fact that the other day online, you've eaten some crazy critter. I, I love that. Oh. I, <laughs> I love that it comes a you know, Facebook post from a friend from Dorian Anderson at this beautiful mammal out and and you come in there going, I hope people don't get mad at me, but I think I've eaten that. <laughs> and for, yeah, fortunately, I was poking the bear there. Yeah, yeah, fortunately it was a different kind of critter, but similar but different. Yeah, but yeah you want to tell that yeah. story. Yeah, so our buddy Dorian's down in the in in Chile. Patagonia in the Andes there and saw his, what I presume was his lifer mountain piscacha. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am not real up on my uh, viscacha taxonomy, right. I got to admit. Right. And so thankfully I have friends, <laughs> yeah. uh, friends like Alvaro Jaramillo to correct me and say, well, actually, George, you know, there's, there's more than one species here. But yeah, I saw Dorian's picture and I was like, yeah, I will never forget being in Tafi del Valle, Tafi del Valle, as I like to say there, in Argentina, and sitting down at a restaurant with a group and seeing on the menu, it said, it, it, it translated the menu into English for the benefit of, of travelers and groups like, like ours. And it said, wild beast similar to a rabbit in brine. <laughs> and I thought, I don't know what the hell that is, but I'm getting that. Like, how can you, how can you not get that? Right. It's like, in so I ordered it and, um, it, you know, and we, we'd actually seen Viscacha, but it didn't really it, Did it come in right a jar and you had to open the jar and take it out of the brine? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's pickled. Yeah. yeah. Now it came, it came kind of like, uh, I'm trying to remember what, what it actually looked like. Um, but I have to say, that it was quite good. Right. Um, I remember being like, you know what? I would order this again. <laughs> this was good stuff. Yeah. Like it really did taste kind of like chicken. Um, and I was quite pleased at, with it. At the time, did you, I mean, was that the only description I had of what you're eating or did you know it was a kind of viscacha? No, I had no idea right actually what it was. So later yeah. you, you had to do some sleuthing and figure out. Yeah. Well, I think, I, I think Dave Stayskull was with me and he, he was just like at a different table. You know, we had two different tables mm-hmm. with our group and, and, um, Dave was like, yeah, it's Viscacha. And I was like, oh yeah, of course I was just being an idiot. But, um, you know, and we'd seen a couple and, uh, you know, they're so ridiculous mm-hmm. looking. They kind of look like a, I don't know, like a rabbit, you squished together a rabbit and a fox or something, right. Or a squirrel. And, um, it's like a sleepy yeah. rabbit with a curly fox tail, kind of like a squirrel's yeah. tail. It's like a squirrel's yeah. tail on a really sleepy looking rabbit. Exactly. Big nose. Yeah, that's a perfect description. Yeah. And they, they are, they're super like, they're super kind of cute and fuzzy. And so later thinking about what I ate, I did feel a little guilty about it. Um, but it, only a little. Um, but, you know, 
the kind that you ate is actually plain Swiss right? Which is right, and this is this is where it's good to have friends right. like you, that, Elbro. Yeah, yes. who love to correct everybody. Like, <laughs> you know, I only I only correct people who I think might enjoy the information <laughs> garnish. Yeah, I no, I, I, I want to know which viscacha I ate. So, so yeah, there's yeah. mountain viscachas and there's several species of those, but then the plains viscacha is a different genus. It's got this stripe through the face. And one of the reasons they actually uh, hunt them and eat them and have done for a long time, the gauchos, is because they make these underground burrows in, and that the horses fall into. And Often mm. will break I legs. This now you mention it, you yes. know, and all yeah. this. So they're considered essentially vermin, and rather than just shoot them, or they people started eating them. And this was hundred, you know, probably in the eighteen hundreds, seventeen hundreds, perhaps even before that, with you know, sort of First Nations people. But um, the it's so it's it's something that people have been doing a long, long time over there, and. Um, the plains with scotch is not nearly as cute as the one in the mountains. So I just wanted to mention that, you know. Yeah. So I should feel even less yeah. guilty about eating it because it's not. As and cute. they're related yeah. to guinea pigs. They're in that same group. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people eat cooey and cooey in, uh, yeah. in, uh, up in the, now, in the mountains. Have you ever had occasion to eat capybara? I have not. And that's another one in this group. So this is a very tasty group of rodents, it seems like. <laughs> I, uh, people do eat agouti as well. And yeah, paca. Yeah. Paca. You know, yeah. um, and so there's a bunch of these things that, uh, that people eat. And I have not. I guess Venezuela would be the place to eat. Yeah, Venezuela, Colombia, the Llanos. I, I was, I was going to say the first, I think the first capybara I ever saw was we we did a tour t- uh, into the Llanos. Uh, you're going to say it was on a plate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't tried it. Okay. I actually would kind of like to try it. But I remember we we got you know we it was one of these things you drive all day. There was something something happened like a bus broke down or something. You ended up we got in at like I don't know eight at nine or night after driving all day. Get into the lodge where we're staying in the Llanos of Venezuela here. You know, beautiful country, great place for big numbers of ibis and and uh, screamers are all you know hopping around all over the place, walking around and and just all sorts of great big birds. The front half of the bird book in South America really well represented in the Llanos. And, uh, and we get there finally, everybody's exhausted. And I step out of the bus and I look over and I see about four dudes sitting around a campfire at night, kind of glowing. And I'm like, man, that's a weird looking dog they got there. (laughs) And I I just started edging closer. And I was like, is that a dog? And then I I got closer and I realized it was a capybara. (laughs) It was sitting with these guys around the campfire and it was like a domesticated pet capybara. And so I just kind of walked up to these Llanero guys and I was like, I was like, what's uh what i said in spanish and i was like you know what's his name and they looked up at me without like you know a pause and just said shakira (laughs) and and the capybara was named shakira um you know after the pop star and uh and i i thought that was pretty amazing that they they had you know so the next year i came back did the tour again and i saw one of my friends who worked there and i was like hey where's shakira and he's like oh you know that we ended up we ended up eating Shakira because uh, <laughs> she um, she bit a lady uh, who's actually it was a woman who was expecting and I guess they she bit her on the leg or something they're like that's enough Shakita you know so anyway 
Boy. Bit of a, a messy messy end there, but uh for Shakira. And but uh yeah. <laughs> you know, the the idea of, of bushmeat I think is really oh, you know, you again, another topic one could and it depends on the region, depends on the animal. You know, I mean there's yeah. some real issues, problems with people eating bushmeat in parts of Africa and I guess parts of Asia where it's yeah, um for sure really you know the the habitat can't take that much extraction of some of these creatures but um capybara um some of these rodents in south america actually they're abundant and people actually yeah. eat them sometimes uh in, in in some countryside settings quite a lot and they're still yeah. abundant it's almost like it's yeah. um yeah, and if if you had vegetarian, you're it's it's a whole different level of consumption that you're you're using of land and resources and so forth. But if you're eating meat and you live in some of these places, I think eating capybara and maintaining capybara populations would be much better than cattle, right? I mean, yeah, uh, for sure. So uh, there's there's a whole element of that that's uh, interesting in the South American lowlands. Yeah, um, you know, there used to be a hippo-sized capybara, right? Back in the day, <laughs> like a prehistoric, yeah. Uh, yeah. Back when the giant ground sloths were roaming the earth, I know. and so forth. There's a lot of big stuff in South America. Only the little things yeah. are remaining. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever Have you ever seen them with uh, cattle tyrants on their heads and stuff like that? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the cattle tyrants are sort of like these ground dwelling well they are ground dwelling flycatchers that often are around cattle but in parts of the llanos they're they hang out with capybaras and and you know roam around yeah. with them i love capybaras they're cool animals uh and i and i have a real fondness for that entire group of rodents you know yeah me too the, the cavies and pacas agoutis biscachas alvaro have you ever seen my father's office no um i can't remember if i've told you about this or not but he he has a real fascination with squirrels oh and marmots Marmot. and prairie dogs and as he likes to as he likes to call them fat furry rodents chipmunks um, yes yes like golden mantled ground squirrel is like a favorite of his and he his office is covered in like Newspaper clipping articles about that are like fifty years old about like squirrels and marmots and you know prairie dogs and he's got all these photos and pictures. You know he's a bird guy. Yeah, he is obsessed with squirrels and uh, and you know groundhogs and and all all those rodents and capybaras. Flying squirrels is, is one he's he's fond of as well. Yeah, have you? Yeah. Ever had the chance to see one of those giant squirrels in Southeast Asia with the colors and the, and they're like massive. They look like a dog going up the. Yeah, I've I've seen giant squirrels in in Thailand. I yeah, think they get almost yeah. like they're like a meter long. Yeah, you know. I know. Yeah. I actually worked with flying squirrels for a summer. That was amazing. Ah, yeah, they were beautiful I haven't seen those actually they're they're quite common around here but i have seen relatively few yeah you have to go looking for them you know you yeah you have to invest your time but yeah 
actually the new house is in a very good location for uh, for flying squirrels. One of the few places I've I've heard and seen them. Uh, and I've started following some Instagram accounts um, that post pictures of the Asian flying squirrels from like Japan and stuff. And those ones I think are arguably even cuter right. than the ones we have here in North America. Yeah, yeah. I like to try and see one of those one day. Apparently they're they're around in spots where birders go you know birding in in the mountains and so on in japan you can you can sort of japanese alps yeah. and maybe up in hokkaido as well yeah exactly so be nice to see those yeah as squirrels are cool actually and you know as a birder right mammals and birding kind of don't go hand in hand because most mammal watching is at night and some of the real keen mammal watchers now are using infrared sensing equipment and all this other stuff to try to see these mammals but the one group where you as a birder could actually you know find a huge proportion of them if you're looking hard in the right habitats are squirrels because they're mostly diurnal except for the, the flying squirrels and chipmunks vocal yeah quite vocal a lot of quite them. vocal and i think yeah. chipmunks are you know the moment you get tired of gulls flycatcher identification Chipmunk identification in the West is where you want to devote Oof. your time. And yeah. and I think voice might be the way to sort some of these out. Like when you're up in the Sierras yeah. or the parts of the Rockies and you have two or three different species, you know, vocally, they don't quite sound the same. Yeah, I might have to look at some sonograms for some yeah. of those. Sort of like doing Impidinax flycatchers, right. you know. You know, who's yeah. going to be the one who cracks the code on all these chipmunks? Man. Well, Alvaro, you and I have talked in the past about doing squirrel tours. Squirrel tours. Where, yeah, remember tours. We, we did our our first ever tour we guided together was to Oregon. Oh, right. Which is a great place for squirrels, for squirrels and for chipmunks. Uh, high diversity there. Yeah. And I highly recommend this little book called Squirrels of the West. God, I, I, I don't know if I have it around here, but it's it's one of the few books that I got and I was blown away by like, wow, you know, look at all this you know, information about these chipmunks and the good maps and the whole deal. But we struggled, I remember, on that trip um, with some of the IDs trying to sort out different chipmunks. Yeah. Boy. No, that's, yep. <laughs> yep, that's a tangled, tangled web. Yeah. yeah, that is. But your pops, mm -hmm. huh? Squirrel guy. Oh my gosh! Obsessed. Huh. Obsessed. Why? Why didn't he, you know, become like a real squirrel guy rather than sort of bird? Or is he really a squirrel guy? I just I don't know that. You know, I th I think you could argue that he's really a squirrel guy who happens to go birding a lot. Um, huh? Yeah. But no, he's he's he he's studied the squirrels a fair amount. He's definitely a bird guy, but. Uh, the squirrels have a place, own a large chunk of real estate in his heart uh -huh. uh, due to their overwhelming cuteness. So high cuteness. You will have to ask him what is the best squirrel in the entire group in North America and what worldwide does he think is like top squirrel? <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah, top squirrel. Top squirrel. Boy, that'd be a good television show right there. Yeah, top squirrel. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, that's a good question. I can tell you that locally, we barely are in the edge of red squirrel range here. Oh, and I know right. a lot of folks to our north are not terribly in love with red squirrels because oh, yeah, okay. they can be kind of difficult if right. they get into your house. But around here, they're just scarce enough um, that they they're, it's always a treat to see them. And boy, they are pretty absurdly cute. Yeah, the whole the chicory group. I know that's a favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I like, yeah, I like the whole red squirrel group. I like their vocalizations too. I, um, I do think that, I don't know how, maybe I've seen one or two prairie dogs species in my life. Those are pretty cool. And true marmots, you know, well, I don't want to say again, true or, you know, wood, woodchuck or, you know, groundhog is, is a true marmot, but mountain yeah. level marmots, like hoary marmot is pretty fantastic i think yeah 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 i don't know why it's a good group yeah yeah i well we're gonna have to edit like half of this bird talk because it was not about birds george (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's because we really went down a uh a rabbit hole with these uh with these rodents but uh yeah it all started with the viscacha so thanks dorian dorian anderson for uh (laughs) for that but uh, yeah, we will have to devote more time to weird things eaten on tour, and uh, and to our favorite fat furry rodents in the future. Yeah, um, and some of the weird things could be vegetables. Next, you know, people are growing. Yeah, oh well, sure. Yeah, and fruits. There's fruits. so many cool fruits out there. I know, you know? some yeah. good fruits. Don't want to take a durian on a plane, boy. A durian Anderson. In some... <laughs> yeah, well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> Any final thoughts for the folks, Alvaro, before we sign off here? Um, well, it's my favorite winter fruit is persimmon, by the way. Oh, yeah. So I have one waiting for me here this evening. I wait for them to get really, really ripe. And uh, I'm going to enjoy a persimmon. I think I'm going to try and go birding because it's been too long since I've been out there. And otherwise, you know, birding your best life. Um, we're getting more members coming in, more stuff happening. Uh, check it out. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's developing. It's happening. So thank you for interest in that. Yeah. Gathering steam. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Al. Have a good day, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we will be back again soon. Cheers, everybody. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.